Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. No, there's nothing wrong with your eyes or your brain. Uh, it is a new episode. You haven't like accidentally looped an old one or something. We are back. It has been, yes, eight months since my last podcast, to which, you know, all I can say is sorry, but it's been just wild. Um, been incredibly busy. Normally I take off the holidays anyway because of how busy the store gets, and this time I didn't get to. Um, you know, I, I, I had to do it early, basically, like the end of summer, actually one of my, my longest tenured employees left. And so I was on a, you know, hunting for new employees. Uh, we did some extra hiring, training, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, boom, summer's gone, Christmas is here, and then Christmas is gone, spring is here. So, um, you know, but as always, right, something comes up, some topic comes up that like pulls me back in. And the last one I did was the talk about emulation. And and, and actually, it's funny, we'll be talking about one of the same people we talked about during that podcast I'll be talking about here. Um, but essentially, you know, the, the, the time it takes to like put all the effort into and, and kind of record all this stuff, it, it's, it's sometimes it's a challenge. Um, but then something comes up and it's, a, and it, it irks me and pisses me off so bad that I have to talk about it. Right. <laughs> so I come to you, you all are my therapists essentially. And I come and I vent it to you. Um, so with that being said, we're going to talk about something I find incredibly interesting today. And it, it actually kind of connects to our last podcast, which was, is emulation a dirty word? And we talked about the difference between hardware and software emulation and, you know, just kind of the whole shebang. Well, today we're going to go a little further with that conversation. And we're going to talk about the difference between preserving games, preserving the future of games, and access to games. So what is the difference and all this sort of thing? So what does it involve when it comes to piracy and emulation, yada, yada? And there's only one person on this whole planet I could see doing this podcast with. It is my fellow Twitter warrior. It is a man we had on a few podcasts ago. I think it was like two years ago, I think it's been. But it is the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Untitled. How you doing, brother? How you how you been, man? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hang in. I mean, it, the last time I podcast was uh, was with you. And so the only time I come off the bench is... Uh, you know, when we get when when something uh, gets me wild up on uh, on Twitter, too. So I'm happy to be on and uh, dive into this topic because it's um, it's got it's got many rabbit holes to jump into and it's complex and there's a lot of opinions. But I think um, I think there's a lot of great conversation that can come out of it. Well, and, and I want to say I think I messaged you two or three times over the last year about a topic. And I was like, dude, we got to podcast about this and we just never got it and just we yeah. never connected whatever for whatever reason um and, and i'll tell you this not to like you know gibber you off or anything but like there are few people that i talk with that i respect on the level of knowledge and understanding of things that i have and you are very much up there and anybody who's seen us interact on twitter or seen you interact on twitter that you follow maybe follows me follows you you know you you definitely on twitter like you throw out some like wild stuff you know all of it though <laughs> all of it though accurate like it's it's very accurate it's deep thought it's thinking you know sort of topics and yeah like every now and then it's thrown in there with just a nice bit of schmarmy you know sarcasm but like what i love about you when you podcast is you are like professional and you come on you're like boom because you want to get your point across and i love it and and i just want to say like i respect how you do that because that's how i like to do it and and i still yeah, feel like, that like likewise. and i and i feel thank you and i feel like there is 
room for content creators like us, right? Like we want to speak to an audience like adults. We want to act like adults and not all the time. Like we're, we're talking about video games. We want to have fun, but like there are adult topics we can speak about like adults. And I have a feeling I can't confirm this yet, but I have a feeling you and I are going to be having a few podcasts in the future. Cause that list you gave me, man, was all awesome of topics you want to talk about. And we can't fit them all into one show. So, no, so I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Um, yeah, and, the, and and to build on a little bit of a disclaimer too, just about the Twitter stuff, because here's the thing: I could probably also be more professional on Twitter because cl- clearly anybody that has seen some of the tweets, there, you know, I will sprinkle it with some vulgar language and at times just kind of go off the rails <laughs> or even clearly be trolling a little bit, which, you know, sometimes I lean into that probably a little too hard, but like there, these things are things that I'm passionate about and sometimes there are just some takes that are so ridiculous that I can't help but but jump in and be part of the problem so I don't know what that says about me but I still love to take a serious step back and like have conversations like this so I'm super excited yeah I I am as well and so I just want to crack right into it and I guess I feel like this is this had been coming up a, f- a few different ways, like different people were talking about it in different ways. But what I remember the first time is that I, I want to say, I thought Kelsey tweeted about this before the Gerard, the completionist video. She had been talking about, I think the lawsuits that they're trying to work through because the ESA, which um, kind of represents like video game studios and stuff like as a, you know, as a, um, oh shit, I'm forgetting the word, but like as a, Oh, help me out here if you can, but like a, like a, a lobby group, sorry. So like lobbyists, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so they're lobbyists that are, you know, they lobby on behalf of the video game industry and, uh, you know, and, and so like, they're basically trying to lobby against what Kelsey's about, which is preservation and, and the video game, um, foundation, the history foundation that she's a part of. Yes. So she yep. had, she had tweeted about that before, but she tweeted again to explain why she thought something was cool and it was based off of the recent Gerard the Completionist video where he bought every single game on the Wii U eShop and the 3DS eShop. Yes. Which if you if you look and thankfully he put it right in the thumbnails so like I don't have to do any research. If you're keeping track at home on the Wii U it was $9,673 to buy every game and on the 3DS it was $13,118 to purchase everything. Uh, so Gerard did this. He They spent months, like, buying eShop cards, which, now that I think of it, couldn't you just have, like, linked to your accounts and then put money? I don't know. I don't, whatever. It doesn't matter. So they sent people in to, like, buy the cards. They got as much money as they could. They eventually were able to do it, and he bought all the games. Um, I, I'm, I'm not much of a YouTube consumer. Um, I, I Everyone always says Gerard the Cliche is a really nice guy. Everyone who I've talked to who knows him um, likes him. So this isn't a bash on him at all. Um, but I thought this was more of like a content video. This wasn't, he didn't do this for preservation of video games. No. You know, he, he did this for the, the algorithm and for, uh, granted a, probably a popular video. Hopefully it makes him more than $22,000 <laughs> so he yeah. can pay off all the and, and entertainment, games. right? I mean, and that's what that stuff is. And I think that's, I, and I totally agree. I think that's fine. Um, I had not watched many of his videos previously. I thought the video was really well done. I thought it was entertaining. But I think at the core of it, um, just looking at it and it's sparking more preservation conversation is where I come back and go, well, that's not really what that is either, right? And you're going, okay, these the stores are shutting down. 
you're moving through purchasing. You're you're moving data and game access from Nintendo servers, Nintendo's storage, onto your storage, which is is great. So it has it is now preserved for you, and you have access. Um, but is that preservation by moving it back to his now now to his local hardware? Maybe for him, but I still think like where Kelsey comes in, in some of her comments, it gets a little deeper into, I think. Th- the philosophies around preservation at like an industry level. And I think those are kind of two different things. And it was interesting to me that she jumped off of that video as a neat thing for why preservation matters. When I didn't think the video did a great job of communicating preservation, because I don't think that was the intent of the video. Yeah. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. And that's ultimately the core of the conversation, right? Is what is preservation mean when you preserve a game digitally what does that mean does that mean that you've you've accessed the files so that if that game is lost to time you have a copy that you can reveal and everyone can have access to or is it access which what we mean is which what we mean by that is do i get to play it right so gerard buying those games on the eShop doesn't mean i get to play it so it doesn't give me access to the games it but it you know as a form of preservation, I like what you said. It's it's preserved for him, right? And I guess if every other copy in the world was lost, and his 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 access is preserved because I think there's a, a, a I think there has to be some sort of conversation that not every game on the eShop has a physical copy, but some do in fact have physical copies that are readily available. So. Those games are already preserved on cold storage via disk, right? So, which, whether you want to access them by purchasing those disks on that cold storage, I guess, for lack of a a better example, like, you've preserved your access to those games. But there is still other avenues in which to get access to the games, right? So I think that's where I'm just, I get lost a little bit when people are beating the drum about preservation in a way that I'm like, well, all of these are probably actually preserved somewhere. Um, the more people that have local copies, the easier access will be, which is important. But let's, I don't want to, it's, it's hard to not conflate one to be the other, but I don't think we should always conflate one to be the other. And that's where I get... I get I, I've I'm of a mixed mind on how to even like how to even like I don't know get to an opinion that I actually fully agree with there you know what I mean it's just it's a very complex topic that you just go well if everybody has access then does everybody feel good about it because just because the eShop shuts down I don't think Nintendo is going and deleting all of the files they're most certainly not and i think the argument that comes up is well game source and compiled source and compiled code has been lost to time before which is true very true yep in, in, in gerard's case i i think he had mentioned in the video trying to start with hard drives but then he made some re- some 
alluded to flash drives or, and things like that. And it's like, well, the worst place to store anything is a flash drive. Like, it really <laughs> should be a mechanical hard drive. It should have redundancy, right? You should have it on a local storage with some sort of unraid, di- di- like, disaster recovery model. You should also be backing that up to another hardware-based solution somewhere else. And then you should also be backing up to the cloud, right? So it's just like... It's, again, it's back to just, like, this complicated conversation around, like, it's already preserved. So if access is your issue, which I think everybody's, a- like, core problem is access, which I agree with. I want access to this stuff. But how Absolutely. do we get there? Yeah. Like, how do we how do we get there um, without, like, grandstanding behind preservation when I think it's fine to just say, I want access to this stuff and I'm going to go pirate it. Like, just be honest, right? So I don't, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but yeah, anyway, interested yeah. in your thoughts. So, yeah, so let, let's kind of follow that a little bit. So the first thing I want to say, and, and I know in the pre-show we talked a bit about this, and I know you agree, is I'm okay with piracy. Like, I'm okay if somebody says, hey, man, I don't want to buy Earthbound for 300 bucks, so I'm going to pirate the game. I don't care. I said it in the last podcast I did. I've said it on this podcast many times before. I don't care. And I say that as somebody who makes my entire living off of people buying these games. So if you say, hey, I really want to play Earthbound, but I'm not going to pay $300 or $200 for a loose cart, I'm not going to do it, I'd say, okay, well, just download it and play it because it's a fun game. You should experience it, right? So I want to get that out of the way. Like, I have yeah, no and problem. And I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I love emulation. Um, for me, it's more of an ease of use thing than anything else, but I love it. Um, so here's part of the issue. So going on... Um, when Kelsey's talking about the Gerard video and she goes on to basically say, well, she wants to clear the air about piracy and emulation first. So the first quote or the first tweet reply she has to herself is eShop games have been combed through already by let's call it quote underground preservation from here on out, which is amazing. That's what she says. So right away we're, we're calling piracy underground preservation. Uh, I, I, I fundamentally just have an issue with how we're using that. You know, the preservation, like, is that what the people who are doing this, like, that that's their terminology for it is, is like, underground preservation? I just, I don't know, it just feels, I, I just, know, I guess I'm not, inaccurate. I can't get there. And that's the, that's the part where I can't follow it, right? Is, um, you're, okay, underground preservation, we want to undirty the word piracy, but at its core, and I, like, w- you're just pirating the games for access. And, like, that's cool, but just say that, right? Um, and I think that... Um, I think that just saying, well, we're moving data... Again, now in this case, it would be like, let's move data off of Microsoft servers or Sony's or wherever or off of these disks onto hard drives. Well, now we're going to move them onto our hard drives, but maybe, like, the history, gaming history preservation, which is larger. And then you're saying, like, okay, well, they're going to store them on mechanical disc and they're going to back them up and then they're going to maybe have some as some like you know aws servers or azure servers or something and then they're going to be backed up there and you're like okay but again that's cool and i'm glad that now nintendo isn't controlling the preservation and now we've dupli- now we've created a redundancy on that duplication but now it's just stored behind another company that's preserving the games and it's like well happy about that so if we ever wanted access there's somebody that can control it but at that point you have now taken 
over control of IP and source code that you don't own and you're preserving it, quote unquote, so we have access to it, which I think is noble, but I still have, I just still can't get there on the like, it just, it just, it feels weird to me. And I, I don't even, I'm having trouble articulating it. Well, um, y- y- you know, we had, and maybe you can remember the exact topic, but there was something we talked about and we, we had this exact same conversation, but about something else. It was like, it was the whole idea that you're hiding behind something else. Like you have an opinion, like you like to pirate games. Okay. But why is it I pirate games because it's preservation? You're hiding behind the preservation to just say like, dude, I pirate stuff. Like just say it. Just say, hey, yeah, like these are it's illegal yeah. to do what I'm doing. I'm doing it and I don't care because X, Y, or Z. As opposed to saying, no, what I'm doing is right because X, Y, Z. And I think that's just the difference for me. I can't I can't get to a point where I'm just like everything I do is justified because of this. I can say I don't care if anyone pirates because of this, but it's not like I'm I'm pretending, like you say, the grandstanding. I'm not pretending that I'm doing like God's work over here. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not walking yeah. around being like you all should be thankful I exist. And now there's been some really, um, uh, like big examples of piss poor uh, archival and preservation of old games, like notoriously For sure notoriously silent hill 2 i think it was which they later put onto the hd collection for ps3 and 360 notoriously like they lost on the the latest build of that game they didn't have it so they had to go back to an older build and work on it and like there was all this other issues with it um and so that happens right but my question to you and i'm actually i don't know this so i'm curious if you do when they say like we've preserved these games through underground preservation are they even preserving source code at that point? I mean, they don't. I don't well, no, think they have uh, access to that if they're not reverse engineered. Well, on, they like, wouldn't. And, and there, there's, yeah, and I don't think there's going to be an easy way to to decompile or uncompile that code, right? So, when you when you're talking about preservation in that sense, you're basically talking about backups of the compiled code. Right, which yeah. is not, which does not give you access to the source code, which again solves a problem for continued access to those games. But like Silent Hill Two, if these developers wanted to go back, I think it actually happened with Mass Effect um, as well. There was some DLC when Mass Effect Legendary Edition came out that they couldn't include because they were like, we'd have to rebuild it because we accidentally deleted the source code <laughs> or don't have access to it anymore. Which is incredible. That sucks. Which is incredible yeah. that that happens. Which is in, which? That's another piece. Like that's another part of preservation at the developer level of just saying we lost the source code. What are we going to do now? We can't republish this game if we want to rebuild it. And so now, in, unless we want to rebuild it, now you're stuck with again. Silent Hill 2's available, right? You can somebody can rip the ROM and throw it on the internet, which is great. Um, but you. you the, the developers and the companies can do that too. So it's like everything still drills back to access because anything that's new and, and modern, at least over the last 20 years that had a disc release, I, I think the, I think the preservation conversation is actually more important now than ever because of the digital releases that don't get a physical copy that make it even more difficult to preserve 
through underground preservation. Like this is where I just, I just, I'm like, I'm like, it all comes, you know what I mean? Like it all comes back to you want access to these games, which is fair. I want access to all the games. Yes. Same. I, I wish, yep, same. I wish the companies would give us a path to access these games. Right. I think, um, you know, I don't think the subscription service Nintendo is doing is good enough, right? I, I wish there was a way in perpetuity that we would be able to access these games as we move into a digital future and the hardware starts to break and hardware becomes more expensive to find through things like emulation, which is why I'm on board with emulation. But then it's back to if Nintendo's the gatekeeper on these preserved games that they undoubtedly have, um, then my problem becomes access. And so what am I going to do to access it? Well, I'm going to go pirate games. So just come out and say, I'm going to go pirate the game because Nintendo isn't giving me access to the games that I want to play. But with, with, in doing that, don't try to take some moral high ground to say, well, I'm, do, I'm doing the greater good of preservation here because I just don't think that's true. You know? Yeah, well, and a lot of people always make the example of, you know, like Apple Music or whatever, right? And they say, you can stop the illegal downloading by making your music more accessible, right? Or by making, if if they made it easier, it's not even about money most of the time. It's about access. And so, like, all you have to do is make it simple for people to be able to play these games, and they will. Like, I don't think people would pirate games. If you could play every game through the Nintendo Switch online and you got a subscription to that, people would pay that and buy a Switch just for that. Um, and they would do that instead of piracy because it's easy. It's simple. And, you know, so again, it goes back to like what you're saying. It's it's about the access that people want to these games. And again, I think that's fair too. I'm the first one to say it. I've said it a hundred times in here and I'll say it a hundred more. Uh, if you want to play a game and it's too expensive to buy, pirate it. I don't care. I, I, I really want you people to experience these games. But I would put in. I would always put, and we. I think we talked about this last last time. But I, I would always put having access to the history of gaming and enjoying those games in any in in the least, really kind of through the path of least resistance yes. for an individual, right? And not everybody. Earthbound's a great example. I'm not going to go spend three hundred dollars on that game, but I would encourage everybody to play it. And there's not, you know, there's not enough copies, and there's just quite as frankly, anybody buying it for three hundred is probably collecting it as well, which is great. But some people just go, I want to play it, and then shelf it or whatever. I mean, you could buy it, play it, resell it, um, or you could pirate it and and, and just and, and just say like, yeah, I pirated it. it was awesome. Yeah, I pirated yeah. it. It was fine. Uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have, but I did. It's fine. As opposed to being like. I preserved that game, man. I preserved it on my hard drive, and then and then I played it, and then I preserved it some more. Um, but so let me ask you this: uh, I think this is another part of the conversation. Who is responsible? Like, obviously, I'm with you, right? I want these things preserved, and I want these things. I want access to them. But whose responsibility is that? I feel like we're taking that responsibility out of the developers and publishers' hands. Now, should we trust them? Probably not. No, and that's yeah. part of the problem for sure. B- but isn't it like like if Capcom doesn't want to make, you know, like you said, hard storage and redundant storage to save digital-only copies of, like, Phoenix Wright games that only came out digital or something, like, 
Isn't that up to them, though? You know, and because that's the people's issue is not where they'll think, oh, well, if Capcom goes out of business, this game's gone forever. It's, well, if Capcom goes out of business, I can't play that game. And yeah. so, so then, but so then it's my responsibility. And again, we've been using these words all night, but like, it's my responsibility then to preserve it for myself, which is yeah. give yourself access. And yeah, yeah. And, and but, but you are and there is, there is the gray area of saying, yes, but I am preserving it in a way that I could distribute it as well for something that I do not technically own or have the rights to distribute through torrents or peer-to-peer, right? I mean, archive.org, I, I guess I don't even know how they're getting around it, but archive.org, you can just go there at any point and download pretty much any ROM that you want, which is, again, great for access. Like, whose responsibility is it? And I think the archive.org one is so interesting because Nintendo, what, I think four years ago, five years ago maybe, shut down a small website and, like, sued them for not even storing, I think, the ROMs on their own servers, just running a website that linked to ROMs elsewhere. So, I, like, that's also interesting to me of, like, well, now it is re- readily available on archive.org for anything, but, it, you know, there yeah. doesn't seem to be any litigation against archive. It's So my understanding of that situation is that archive.org is registered as a library. And so they're like You're through, right. That's through, it. Yeah. through current laws or whatever, they're allowed to like essentially they're allowed to rent that ROM to you. That's right. Yes, and you're right. Yep. Now, yeah. now that that and that brings up a really interesting thought because this goes to and and we can we're gonna talk about it a little bit because it's a whole I think a whole podcast we need to spend on this. But there's the boogeyman of Twitter and social media and video games and media right now, the boogeyman of NFTs. And yes. the the boogeyman, which again, look, I'm just gonna say this really quickly because I don't want people thinking I'm some NFT f- bro or something. But like, I fully admit the way that images are being used, sold, and traded as commodities, I, I it's stupid. It, it's it's probably the worst application possible for that technology. For sure. Yep. Um. So, with that being said, though, the idea of an NFT, a non fungible token, you know. The idea that you could use that, like a library could have maybe 10 copies of a ROM of Super Mario World. I can check that out and then they can only check out that one. You know, so there is like a, there, there is a middle ground here where they don't just give out the ROM to thousands of thousands of people a month and that there's no policing giving it back or deleting it or having something that actually is trackable and it's essentially ownership, you know, in, in a way. And so like... But right now, that's not what it is. Like, you literally go to Archive, and there's everything there. Like, you just, any game you want's there. They've got ROM packs. You want every game for TurboGrafx-16 to just download the pack. Like, it's right there. It's so easy. Um, it's slow. Because <laughs> they don't have... Super slow. They don't have very good service. very slow. Um, but uh, it kind of goes to some of the points Kelsey's making more in this tweet. And then I'll let yeah. you, because I know you got a lot to say about NFTs. So I, I don't, I don't want to drown you out, because I know you got some good stuff to say. But, like, she goes on to say really quickly, like, you know, institutions like libraries and archives generally have money, infrastructure, and people that can dictate to preservation projects, which is, you know, and and she goes on to say it would be better if we didn't have to expect or require piracy as the only solution. So she's advocating for more uh, libraries or archives that, that would have access to these things so they could give access to other people. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think... I, yeah, I think I agree. I think I agree with that. If I'm following 
her correctly there. Because if you do look at books or movies, for example, um, those have publishers um, and IP ownership, um, but libraries and things are given a pass to loan those out. And even at libraries now, they can even loan out digital copies of books and I don't know about movies, but they do do it with books. I know for sure. So I, yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that. I think that would be um, a great avenue. But but like she was saying, those those the library there has to be funding for them, and then there also has to be publishers and places cooperating in providing access to those games and quite frankly not i don't like not every library is going to have every book or movie right so it's just like how do you how do you do it right now you're and now you're still just moving access behind the wall of another entity right and so but i agree with that i mean how, how do you feel i mean do you agree with where she's going with her sentiment sentiment there yeah so so she i was on board and then and and the tweets continue uh and it goes on to say something like Right this second, with the way the law works, Gerard's systems could live in a library, and that library could theoretically let people rent and check them out. So there's another way, exclamation point. But that kind of sucks. What if you live nowhere near that library? So now we're getting into the, okay, well, the way the law works, yes, you could check those out from a library. But she's pushing further to say, well, now we have to weigh where online, uh, you know what, I'll just read the tweets. Uh, she goes on to say, it's not going to be a practical way to experience these games for the vast majority of people. Uh, for now, because there's a very big thing that we're working on changing with the incredible folks at the Software Preservation Network. You know how you can rent ebooks and movies from libraries, not just your local ones, but places like archive.org? Well, you should be able to rent video games that way too, remotely, using emulation. And so that's, again, where I start to get okay, but what systems do you have in place to... like? Like audiobooks, my wife does a lot of audiobooks, and she like she'll be on a list for a book because they literally have a limited number of books that they check out audibly at one time. As dumb as that sounds, like it's it's yeah. it's it's data, it's it's nothing, but it's you know it they only have like oh we have twenty copies of this ebook, and or this audiobook, and when when somebody is done and they uncheck it out, and there's a whole system in place where. You know, you can only have so many books checked out at once. Like it's like a real library. I would love if they did something like that with video games. That'd be awesome. But you know, I, and maybe that's what they're talking about. But right now, it just seems more like they want to change the law so a place like Archive.org can just kind of release this into the wild and not have any, you know, not there not be any control over it. Which again, <laughs> I mean, really, if we want to play all these things, we shouldn't be proponents of the control either. Like I should be saying like, yeah, who cares, man? Just let archive have it. But I think there's like, that's what I'm having at heart. Like you, I'm having a hard time even putting into words that I don't feel like it's right. And so how do we get it to be right so that we can feel good about it? So that we're not just pretending to ourselves that we're pirating for justice and truth or the American way, yeah. you know? <laughs> and quite frankly, like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say how many, like hypothetically I have a lot of ROMs maybe. Right. Um, I, I, but, but I'm not saying like, I have access to all of these things. There is access, right? And if you go, if you get into it, it, through piracy, right? So if you say, well, we don't want piracy, which is, I think where Kelsey was going because that, that, 
that there is a moral gray area there. And you say, what about the library option? The library option for books and audiobooks, I think, is one thing because I think the majority of people aren't going to go, I can just go pirate an e an ebook here, which you can, and mm-hmm. load this to my Kindle because you can. Yep. Easy. Or read yep. this on my computer because you can. I don't think most of the, the that market is going to do that. But if you get to a point where there's a limited number of copies to rent out, it's ultimately going to go, oh man, I gotta wait two weeks for this copy potentially, or I could just go pirate it. Right? Like it's you're still not going to ever eliminate that aspect of it, which is why I get a little frustrated with the grandstanding around saying, look at us preserve things. Like I want these things preserved in a place that makes them, again, back to accessible moving forward. We hate, as gamers, I do not want to lose any video game to storage um, corrupting or, you know, time going on. Like, I would love to be 75 and go play Silent Hill 2, which is going to be long gone from, like, my systems probably won't work by then, maybe, or physical copies will be impossible to find, right? You want to, it, it doesn't, and it doesn't really matter even what games I want to access. As we get older, as gamers, you want to be able to access those, those, those things. And quite frankly, like, we don't, I can't think, like, books go back hundreds and hundreds of years. Do, do we have every book archived? Probably not. I don't know, um, great question. <laughs> I would assume you so, know what I mean? but you're do, right, do, that's do, fair. Do we have every movie archived? I, I don't know. Uh, you know what I mean? And, like, that's where it's just, like, so do, like, do you. If you want to locally preserve these games, again, I've done a lot of it, I, you know, maybe, but, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, but but that's where it comes back to the formal aspects of where Kelsey was going. I agree with a lot of, like, I agree with the sentiment of, like, trying to do something that is on the right side of the moral compass. I just don't know how it works. And then I think you're still just going, we're moving storage from this entity over to this entity. And I think where you came in with the NFTs and then potentially blockchain, it is a, it's a hundred percent spot on because I don't think people have gotten far enough into how techno the NFTs work from a technology standpoint because of how abused it's been. And I don't blame people for not getting there, but NFTs would completely decentralize it and this is where when i hear people saying you don't need nfts or blockchain in order to be able to transfer licenses true you could you could rely on the companies for selling you a license and then rely on a company for allowing you to resell that license true decentralization would be i have an nft that is essentially an access key that lives in my wallet so i can do what i want with this digital good and transfer it to someone else's wallet for a fee where I would then lose access. The person getting it would then control access and the companies wouldn't have to be involved at all. And that's where game preservation even comes into play of like, well, if you want to preserve and preserve access, the correct place to do that would be put it on the blockchain so it's fairly accessible with no company in front of it right it could be done but there you know blockchain and nft is 
also a dirty word because of its associated association with cryptocurrency and just scummy, scummy business practices around NFTs. And board so, and board apes. <laughs> yes, and board yes, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and and ultimately, I feel like this is important to her, and she does the video game. Um, I should get it right here. The Video Game History Foundation. Yeah, the Video Game History Foundation. It's her passion project. So, of course, she's going to be passionate about this topic. Good for her. Uh, And I don't think there's anything wrong with her doing this. And like I said, the conversation isn't even really about her. It's more, I I think ultimately that's what got stuck in my craw, was the people who, like, they they brag and they, they, like, they puff their chest out as, I just pirate. You know, and it just, it just, it, it irks me. And it kind of goes into the next thing we want to talk about on the same subject. Um, because there's a, and I, I'm pretty sure I talked about him in, in our emulation podcast months ago, but it's on Twitter. His name is Voltar. Incredible modder does great hardware work. Like from an engineering standpoint, like he creates mods for consoles. He like, he does a lot of videos on YouTube, like showing you how to do it. It's all great stuff. Um, but he comes out with kind of a weird scenario. And so I'm going to read the whole scenario, but he comes out with a weird scenario. And then most people in the replies, you know, are basically saying just pirate, just pirate. And it, it's just, I, I, it just seems like, but, but they're doing it. And then they, they use the shield of preservation to, to hide behind. Um, so let me, let me read this tweet and then I'll get your initial response to that tweet. Um, so Voltar tweets, let me ask everyone something. You own a PS1, and you want to play Final Fantasy VII, but there's nowhere you can buy Final Fantasy VII that's not on the secondary market for the PS1. Is it wrong to pirate Final Fantasy VII on the PS1 to play it, or should you be forced to spend $300 on a new PlayStation console just so you can buy a digital-only version of the game that's no longer sold or supported on the original hardware it was sold for? It's my opinion that regardless if a game has been migrated to newer platforms, if it is no longer being sold or supported on that platform that you own, then all bets are off for that game on that platform. Do you agree or disagree? So then I, that was the tweet. Um, when you read that, like, what's your first impression of that? Well, I think the first thing is it would be disingenuous to the first question of, is it wrong to pi- pirate Final Fantasy VII on the PS1 to play it? And we've talked about this before. That's that's a that's a you decision. I I don't know. For me, I'm sure. I mean, I, I if if you don't want to spend three hundred dollars for the Earthbound thing, sure, go ahead and pirate. That's 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 a that's a you. You have to reconcile that with yourself, right? Like, but I don't think I don't think we can paint in broad brushes about what's right for one person is right for another because people are going to have different moral compasses on what that means. It also feels weird because like we're talking about. We're not really talking about any money that would go back to developers, which I think he's alluding to there. Um, But I think that tweet in and of itself, and this is why I I feel a little closer to it because I was going at him pretty hard on the preservation side that when I saw (laughs) this, it, it, it... had a dotted line back to the conversation and I put conversation in quotes because I kind of, I, st- I started trolling once he conflated the preservation and piracy thing again of just being like, don't hide behind the pre- preservation piece if you just want to go pirate a game for access. And so I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm more curious. <sighs> I'm more curious for your thoughts on it being in 
owner of a store that sells games on the secondary market. And I know you've said this, but I, I'm, it's weird. The tweet in and of itself was worded in a way that I don't necessarily have a problem with what the tweet says. But when you get to the agree or disagree, it's like you've made several statements in here and you're asking me to agree or disagree with the entire tweet. And there are <laughs> right. certain things that I agree with and certain things I don't. And like the the last part of the it's my opinion that regardless if a game has been migrated to newer platforms, if it is no longer being su- sold or supported on the platform you own, then all bets are off for that for the game on that platform. That's where I get lost because in the middle sentence or paragraph, I guess as far as Twitter is concerned, <laughs> um, if you say you don't want to spend three hundred dollars on it but then saying it's no longer being sold or supported on that platform. You're creating your new, you're, what you're doing is creating your new, your own narrative to give yourself an out to feel comfortable pirating. And it's like, that's cool. But like, it is available. And quite frankly, like you don't have to pay $300 for Final Fantasy VII. So I, I don't know. Again, I'm of two, I can, I can argue against it and I can argue for it. And I think that's the theme of a lot of this stuff. <laughs> well, and, and that's why I wanted you on because we we wanted to have a conversation about it. Like, we're not out here telling people what's right or wrong. We want people to think about it. We want people to go, okay, hold on. Yeah, I was told this. I saw this in a tweet where this was said. But, like, we want to bring up the entire conversation to let people, you know, make that decision for themselves. Um, to get my opinion on this, I actually have to go to the next tweet. That's the next his. tweet, yes. yes. Because this is... This is um, this is the most asinine statement I've, I've, I've heard in a long time from someone who is This is, w- this is where he lost, he lost <laughs> me, but I can't wait to hear you go into this one. So uh, he goes on to uh, – he, he replies to his own tweet, and it's a quote, buy it on the secondary market, to which he replies, why the hell would you do that? The secondary market offers no split or percentage to the people who developed, distributed, published, or produces the game. The secondary market is another form of piracy in the sense that content is dispersed and nobody who made the thing is in receipt of any of the profits. I read that and I just, how can someone who's really smart be so stupid? That, that's what that I thought, be, you know. That couldn't be more like objectively off base as far as how secondary markets work, right? Like, I, in, yeah. yeah well, keep going, keep going, Greg. So I keep yeah, jumping in and no. I just... I, it's great. There's no, there's no problem at all. Um, and, and actually, I need to carry it a little further because someone does reply to him and he says, if I'm following you right, there are a few reasons. One, perhaps you wanted to support a business such as a used video game store. Or two, perhaps you wanted to own a physical copy. And to which Voltaire says, both fair and I agree. Okay. And then he goes on to say, but the argument is usually if you purchase out of print games on the secondary market, you're helping the creator. No one's ever said that. No I've one, heard, no one in the history of the planet has ever said buy used games to help the developer, publisher, or creator. Nobody's ever said that ever. He's created. He's created his own yeah. narrative again to prove his own. When you're when you're the interviewer and the interviewee, it's really easy to again create a narrative yeah. for yourself that drives home the point you want to make. Which is which is maybe that's social media, right? I mean that's just how it kind of works. You you create your own bubble to exist in and people who, you know, suckle at your teats all 
all day, like you get used to that, you know, and you start to feel like everything you're saying is right. You know, I, 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 I think, I mean, maybe I do that too. I mean, I don't know. I guess if you, if you say it with enough confidence, it's true. Right. Um, but like, so, you know, so he goes on to then counter his own made up narrative and say, well, my response to that is one, no, you're not helping. And two, buying 10 year old games on eBay doesn't support the developers any more than piracy. So I actually have two things about that. One, I will say he's pretty much right. I mean, yes, if you buy a used game from my store, are you helping the developers? No. But what I don't... God, there's so much here that I want to talk about. Um, I got to keep my thoughts. Keep it straight. Um, <laughs> so he's not wrong. But he also doesn't seem to understand how being a developer works. Okay, you don't get paid residuals as a developer on game sales multiple times over. So if anything, if anybody were to profit off of secondary sales, it would be the publishers, not the developers. So right. the guy who programmed the crane machine in Final Fantasy VII is not going to get any more money if that game got money on the secondary market. But you know who would? Square Enix. So, so it's kind of weird there. So you, Because it's almost like another form of bootlicking, essentially, where he's almost shilling for like, don't buy secondary market because the people who made it and published it don't get more money. But like, are you really saying that like Square Enix should get more money from secondary sales of their game? Like what, this big corporation, you know, and, and then that's where I get to the point where almost every used game store now is a mom and pop shop. GameStop mm -hmm. is essentially like, well, they posted a profitable quarter, which is news in itself. But like, you know, like they're they're getting away from games because they're less profitable for them. So they're getting more into merch, toys, whatever. And so the, the, you know, a lot of the stores that would be the secondary market are individual people and individual stores, smaller stores, even chains. Like it doesn't matter if it's a chain of five stores in Chicago, like it's still, uh, you know, like a smaller business than Square Enix or something, you know? So I guess, so that's the first part I would argue is that one, he's not wrong. It doesn't really help the developer publisher, however you want to say it. But two, here's an argument I actually could make. And I've been doing this a really, really long time. I worked at GameStop for 11 years, and I've had my own store for 12 years now. So 23 years I've been buying and selling used games. And what I will tell you is, especially at GameStop, when you had a new game coming out, say it's an annual release like Assassin's Creed was for a while. And I use that over Call of Duty just because I think it makes a little more sense in this example. But Call of Duty is kind of the same way. Except that has more legs, like the older games last longer. But someone might come in and buy every Assassin's Creed game used. You, you know, like say, there, say it's about to come out with Assassin's Creed 3. Just for simplest. Well, that's not simple because there's whatever. Assassin's Creed 3. doesn't matter. And so someone might have bought Assassin's Creed 1 used, 2 used, Brotherhood used, Revelations used. And then when 3 is about to come out, maybe they're caught up. And because they've liked the older games that were used, it makes them want to buy the new game when it comes out. There were many, many people that would buy franchises and yearly releases when they were, you know, used. And then when the new one was coming, they would pre-order it and buy it on release. Mm -hmm. So I could make an argument that buying used games does help a franchise and a publisher and a developer. You know, it helps grow a brand and it helps make a game popular. Am I going to make that argument? No, even though I technically just did. Because it, it's not really an all the time sort of thing. So I wouldn't die on that hill. Um, I totally more agree with the fact that buying secondary market does not help Square Enix. Um, and it shouldn't 
frankly. Um, and I guess that's my, my bigger point about everything is now, obviously this is personal to me because it's my career and it's what I do. It's how I make my money, but it's also just a general kind of spit in the face to anything you own physically. Like imagine if Ford got a cut of the secondary market when you sold your truck, or imagine if, you know, a realtor gets a or like the original builder of your house gets a cut in the secondary market when you sell your house. Like that's nonsense. And it applies to video games all the same way. It's your property. You physically own it. So to try to say that like there shouldn't be a secondary market just because it's a essentially a creative industry, you know, it's an artistic industry and the original creators didn't get credit for it was any different from buying a car and then reselling the car later and having to kick back to Ford or Chevy or whatever. And so I, I think overall it's more an argument about how he's almost arguing against a secondary market for just video games, but it really applies to the secondary market for all things. And why buy anything physical if it immediately loses all value? And yes, a car, you need a car, (laughs) but like, as far as video (laughs) games go, like, why would you buy a physical video game? If the second you bought it, it was worthless. You know, you wouldn't then because the convenience isn't digital. The only real benefit to physical now is a perceived value later down the line if you decide to get rid of it. But it, but it's, but it is also access to that via the physical copy, which is essentially, you know, now cold storage for that game, uh, kind of one to one. Here's a game on a disc that you can access. I think it's it's tough for me because I guess I in a like outside of what what I think is a kind of an asinine take about the secondary market like if you ask me and I think you said this earlier in the show about like if you don't want to spend the $300 on the game go go pirate it and I think we'd both agree yeah go 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 ahead and do that yep. but I think like trying to draw a dotted line between piracy and secondary markets selling these games which you've also purchased off of people that who who wanted to sell them who spent the money on them in the first place right like at that point somebody purchased somebody had a transaction well first things first let's just pre- target is going to buy a new copy of a game they have a transaction with the publisher or the distributor now target has already paid some overhead to that entity now target is going to sell it to you at an overhead so they profit and now person a now has the game person a is done with the game they're likely going to sell the game at a loss to person b and then in a lot of instances, reinvest that money potentially into another new game or maybe another used game because some people do operate strictly in used, um, which happens with things like cars as well. Um, but you're still there's still a transaction between two people happening there at an agreed-upon price and saying, well, the money doesn't go back to the developer, so in a way, let's just eliminate that market and everybody start pirating anyway. That's a step... Too f- I can't get there. Mentally, I can't, yeah. I can't get yep. there. I yep. can get there and say, if you want to go pirate the game, fine. But to try to equate the secondary market to piracy is quite frankly asinine. And 
I don't know what else to even say about yeah. it. That's just that's a step too far. It yeah, and and I guess you know, and, and from a more personal standpoint, right? Because I I kind of even attacked it from taking myself out of the personal side of it, going into the personal side of it. For some reason, and I've I've harped on this on my podcast for a couple episodes, especially in the ones where I talk about, like, should you open a game store? Or, like, I did an episode called, like, are game stores evil and why are used games so expensive? And, like, that's kind of the idea, though, is I, I feel like people like him, you know, you see that picture of you of a store that's got Earthbound for $500, and you're just like, man, all used game stores suck ass. <laughs> you know, like, like it, there's this weird generalization there that, like, we're all scumbags and resellers, right? And, like... You know, I, I have five full-time employees that I pay a nice, good, like, living wage. And I'm not saying that because I'm the boss, like, sounded ignorant. Like, I pay well above what would be considered, you know, like, in our market, you know. Even though in a video game store, I probably wouldn't have to. I could probably be like, hey, you want to work in a video game store? I'll pay you peanuts because you want to work here. I don't do that. You know, I pay f- for what I expect, which is, which is quality. And, like... So I support those people. Those people support their families. They buy more things. They buy new games when they come out. You know, I've got employees that all we all bought Resident Evil 4, which now that I think of it, I left mine at the store, damn it. Um <laughs> but like we you know just pirate we it. we dude, I'll just download it. Just, just preserve, it. just preserve it. I'll just pre- preserve it. <laughs> I'll preserve it tonight. I'll go on to Pirate Bay and preserve a copy. Um so like you know, so from a personal perspective though, like me and my team like w- buying in the secondary market supports other people in our community, you know, and it supports, and then we support other areas in our community. And so it's frustrating when I see this sort of like the secondary market doesn't, doesn't uh, help anyone. It doesn't, it doesn't produce anything more. Um, we offer quite a service. Um, like when we clean these things back up, we restore a lot of these things. We save them from a dingy old basement. We clean them up. We get them back in working condition. And, you know, so it's frustrating when you hear that sort of stuff and you act like secondhand markets are all just like nasty resellers that robbed an old lady of her $800 game. We paid her a dollar and now we're selling it for $800. Yeah. You know, it's like, like, that's, in, yeah, like you're walking into this like cigar smoke filled room and you're like, come in the back here. See, yeah, yeah. I got all these games <laughs> back here. See, and like, like we're like, shaking, like we're yeah. shaking people down too. you know, like, like people are on the street and I'm like, give me your games, kid. You know, like we're, <laughs> people come to us because they, and here's the thing too, man. We, we've talked about this on podcasts before. We talk about the average gamer, you know, the, the average gamer is not on social media talking about gaming. They're not anything like that. The average gamer is just, doesn't want to deal with half with this stuff half the time. So the average gamer just wants to come to my store, give me a stack of games, walk out with a smaller stack of games and be happy. They don't want to search and find the values of everything and have everything be like get the same amount of money that they paid and they don't want to meet someone at Walmart and then trade a game for a game and they don't, you know, they don't want to do that, you know. So, yeah, like there's a there's a a, I don't even want to say higher educated. I don't mean that. But like there's a, a, a higher tier of collector that is pickier about those things. And they might say, yeah, if you're only going to give me 60 percent, like I won't, you know, I'll keep it. Okay, that's cool, too. You know, but the majority of people like the services we offer. So we are offering something to the community in in that way. And I'm not saying every game store is good. Man, there's so many shitty game stores out there, it's frustrating. Because I feel like, you know, like I like I have to like I'm eating shit because these other people suck, you know, and like I'm just catching this Mm -hmm. backlash. But that's probably internal. Like, I don't know. Everyone loves my store. I I, I'm everyone loves my store. And I I gotta stop pretending and being so humble. Like Yeah. But but I feel you on that because it's that same that same concept applies to like 
why I am always so vocal about the gaming community. Let me be just clear this up. I know Twitter is not representative of the overall gaming community when I say this. But when I see gaming Twitter acting ridiculous, I go, that's not what gaming's about for me, and that's not the gaming community that I would be proud to be a part of. And I think when you break it back down to the industry that you're a part of, and quite frankly, your path in life has been dedicated to this, and to see other people jumping in and tarnishing the reputation of the secondary market in that way when you're not that, I, I think it's completely justified to be frustrated uh, about that. I don't think you, I don't, I, I think it would be weird if you weren't, to be honest. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think, and then what I, what I love, um, is because so all this is going on, right? And he seems like when he gets a little bit of pushback, he, he always kind of backs off a little bit. It's almost like he's testing the waters, right? And then, like you said, he made a kind of a tweet talking about like the cringy quote, quote, retweets or whatever. But even in that cringy, the post where he's complaining about the cringy retweets, he says something along the lines of, you know, I just want to thank everyone. You know, it was really just good to get a conversation out there. And like, that's not why you did it though. And like, it's so, it's so weird when, when like you kind of poke the beast you know, you poke the bear a bit and then like it pokes back. So you're just like, well, no, like it's almost like the bully plays the victim after it comes back. And I'm not calling him a bully and I'm not saying like, it's not like that. But like that, that's what it reminds me of is he takes his shots and then backs off. And he's like, well, you guys, because in one of the replies, he straight up goes, well, you guys are taking this a little too seriously. You know, it's just video games. Like, Well, but you started the conversation and now you're backing out of the conversation by basically saying this is you guys are acting like babies. It's 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 toys for children or something like that's not. You know. and, and, and it's not, and there is, and there is, it's fair to have passionate conversations about this. And I think, I think we're, I think there's another layer to this, which, which his tweets lead into about the publisher or developer not getting paid. I, I, I take that a step further, and this is where I poked him a little bit, was there was a tweet about potentially winning a game. And I was like, well, why would you need to win that game when you could just go preserve it? Just download a preserved copy. <laughs> and... Part of where my head, though, it, it, right, I'm being a, a bit of an asshole there, but I think part of where my head is of, like, if there's a, let's just follow me down this rabbit hole. If there's a person, right, that says, I'm, Metroid Prime got pirated in, like, record time. Um, or, uh, not Prime, what the hell was the Switch one that came out? Um, other, or, or uh, Dread. Dread, yes. Other and, M, oh, God, I said Other M. Yeah, no, <laughs> those, are, those are swear words. Um, and if somebody goes, well, I'm not going to buy the game anyway. I would never buy the game anyway. So that person's never going to buy the game anyway. Is it okay for them to just go pirate it when it is actively for sale by the company? Like, that's where I'm just like, and I think he would say, no, it's not. And I would say, right, but in the follow-up tweets, you're basically calling out piracy in secondary markets and saying, well, the developer's not getting the money anyway, so you might as well just pirate the game. That concept applies to new video games as well for those people that don't buy new games. Should they just go pirate it then because they were never going to buy it new? I, like, again, it's a tricky conversation. My answer to that is no. I, but... Quite frankly, then I'm also a bit of a hypocrite or contradicting myself where I'm like, we'll just go buy pirate old games. 
right? I don't care. Right. Why do I care if they pirate new games? I don't know. I don't know why that feels. It feels scummier because it's for sale, and that, and then it feels like stealing. Yeah. Well, it's like we're, my, yeah. Sorry. You know what I mean? No. That that yeah. That was the thought. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what I was gonna say. Is like, well, so where do you draw that line? Like, if if you have very strict rules, right, and you say as soon as this game's not made anymore and not sold in stores new, like if I go to Walmart, Best Buy, Target, and I can't find this game new, then I can pirate it. Because then there are Switch games that are at that level now where you don't, you can't buy them anymore. Look, what about limited run games? So obviously they're available digitally though. So then do you say, well, is it physical versus digital? You, you know, like the whole thing is, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's been a gray murky area for a long time. And, and I don't know, like, dude, I, so I wanted to play the Diablo 4 beta last weekend. And so I go on to PC and you have to buy the game. You had to buy the game to get into the beta last weekend. And I go to buy the game, sixty nine ninety nine for a digital PC game. And I was like, like, I almost couldn't do it, dude. I almost couldn't do it. And, and I was like, well, you're going to freaking play it, dude. Like, and, and I ended up loving the beta and I'm glad I did. But like, that was, was hard to get over. So... Then I think and those games are not hitting the gray. And if we want to get into the, the PC licenses and the, the PC keys, those games are not hitting the secondary market, the, the gray market like they used to on places like CD keys or G2A like they used to, which everybody there almost had a problem with those because, again, the publishers aren't getting the money. And then it, like that's a whole conversation in and of itself because then you have some things like Green Man Gaming, which is a little bit, I think more well-respected in their business dealings, but, like, where does that go? So then you are like, well, shit, I'm just going to have to spend the $70 here, or, in the case of looking like Activision Blizzard's going to get approved, waiting until it's on Game Pass. But, right. you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I, I had the same thing. I would have spent the $70 last week to get into it as well, but the family was sick, and I was like, I'm never going to have time to play it, so I'm not going to spend the money right now. But... You did spend the money, right? I did, man. I did. I, I, yeah. I did, and I, and I loved the beta, and obviously it's open beta right now, so you, you could have just waited a week, but I'm not known for my patience, unfortunately, these days when it comes to the game stuff I want, so I just went after it. But, uh, yeah, so, but that, that, that's the interesting part about this whole argument is, like, do we each pick our own standards, right? Like, we each pick the own, the, our own, I guess, morals, right? Like, our own lines in the sand we all draw them and we say you know what i don't pirate this i won't pirate that you know it was and i'm not going to get into the whole thing because i don't even want to open this can of worms but i'm going to peek in the can a little bit the hogwarts legacy stuff so mm -hmm. there were so many people that were like you know what i hate jk rowling I'm like okay i'm gonna I, but i love harry potter so i'll just pirate the game and you're like okay well the line you drew in the sand was i'll steal a game and make sure none of the money goes to the person who would benefit from it, even though, and I'm totally, I understand she got paid way in advance for the light rights to shit. Like, I'm not, I'm not like obtuse enough to think that like she's getting, you know, like every copy sold, they're sending her a check for like five bucks. But like, you know, so there, there's their line in the sand is, I hate the person who made the source material, but I love the source material, so I'm going to steal it. And you're like, oh, okay. I mean, if that's your line, I, I'm not. I'm not even telling people not to do that. What I yeah. don't want to hear though is, I'm stealing this game because J.K. is a piece of crap or whatever their reason is. You know, like that. That's the part where I'm like, well, why don't you just say, 
I don't want to pay money for this game, and I want to play it without feeling the guilt of giving her money, so I'm just going to steal it. Like, just say yeah, that. At that, at that. At that point, you shouldn't do... At that point, you really shouldn't do either. Um, <laughs> right. Well, that's your that's you, you, your line in the sand, though, right? But that's, but that's <laughs> right. Well, right, like... That's my line in the sand, right? And that's why it's that's why it's always like I think that's why conversations like these are so interesting, because everybody has their own approach to it and their own way of thinking about it. I think just where I continue to get frustrated is when people are clearly creating their own rules to make it not feel dirty. And I think that's yes. cool, but I just respect people coming out like you just said and saying, "I want to spend the money." So I'm not going to. Okay. You can do that, and you're probably not going to get in trouble for it. Um, but let, don't, don't, don't make it something that it isn't, right? And I think that's, that's what always – and that applies to every – like, I am that way with everything. I hate – I hate it when people are not authentic with their – it's almost like this authentic and self-awareness piece, and I don't, I, you know, one, I don't know what one has to come first. Probably a, a self-awareness in order to be authentic, but like, it, it, it drives me up a wall that like, just be honest about what you're doing, and I can respect that more, even if I disagree with it. But when you come at it from an angle of trying to justify it in some asinine way, that's when I go, well, now not only do I disagree with you, but I also think you're probably <laughs> a terrible person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can, I have yeah. no problem disagreeing with people. That's cool. Let's disagreements are great. That's fine. But when it's a disagreement that's hidden behind some other sort of like moral grandstanding, I'm just going like, come on, guy, come on. I, I, what are we doing? I wish I could remember the conversation we had. We were talking about this exact thing, but with something else. It was like the whole idea that people were saying they wouldn't do or they would do something because of X when it was really just because of Y, you know, or Z. And I, God, I wish I could remember that conversation. Remember it, it's yeah. got to have been on the last podcast we did. So maybe I'll go deep dive and listen to it. But um, yeah. And ultimately I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, I guess, you know, it's like, do what you can when you can, right? Like, is that okay? Can, can you say, Hey man, I buy every new game I can, but like, you know, inflation's crushing me, man. Like, I can't I can't buy a new game, and it would just really make me happy if I could play this. You know, I'm going to pirate it. But the people that pirate, I mean, most people I talk to that pirate, like, new games as they come out, one, they're such a small fraction of people who have, like, modded Xbox Ones or PS4s, and they're downloading these games off sites to, like, play the new PS4 games without, like, buying them. Like, that's the average person's not even close to doing that. It's it's such a small percentage. But, like, is that okay? I mean, I guess if someone said that to me and they were like, you know, honestly, I've been so broke, man, and I just I didn't have the money for it, but I really wanted to play it because I grew up playing Resident Evil 4, and, man, it just meant a lot to me to show that game to my kid. I'd probably be like, right on, man. <laughs> like, right on, dude. I'd, yeah. I wouldn't hold that against anybody. Yeah, um, you do you. Do what, do what you need to do. But yeah. but then there's always, there's, there's and, and this actually, it feels very similar to the game collector versus emulator crowd. Like when you're like, oh man, I have all these games and someone just goes, I have every game on a Raspberry Pi. Like that's always, remember that like for a while that was a <laughs> yeah. big thing where like, like come on, come on, yeah, come on now. Yeah, people people with collections were like getting blasted by people almost like mocking them and saying, you're stupid. Why would you pay all this money for these physical games? I got them all for nothing. 
And you're like, well, that's kind of the piracy argument, too, is the piracy side. People are like, why would you buy games? You can just get them all for free. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I, yes, I don't <laughs> like you're not wrong. I don't, I don't know. Like there is something there. And it, I, I've been seeing this now for the last couple years. I don't think it's just the WADA stuff, but it's not helping. But the conversation has shifted over the last, I would say, over the last five to seven years. The conversation used to be, oh, man, I got to buy this. I used to play this game when I was a kid. That was 90% of the time. Now it's more like 50 to 60% of the time it's, man, I bought this game for $10. It's worth 25 now. I think it's going to keep going up. Hey, when that new movie comes out, I think it's going to go up more. I'm like, okay. That's more the conversations I have now than the nostalgia pieces is the worth pieces. So, yeah. you know, as, as more from an investment perspective than yeah, and, and, anything else. Yeah. And I mean, I did a cast, I don't know, <laughs> maybe it's years ago now, I don't even remember, but it was like, the, there's only one right way to collect and that's your way, you know, collect however you want. And some yep. people collect for the monetary value. Like I have a very extensive collection. I'm very proud of it. Um, but I don't think my collection's any better than anyone else because look what I do for a living. Like, my collection should be the dopest collection around because, like, if it's not, like, what am I doing wrong? You know, like, I have access to it that most people don't have access to a lot of these games or to get them that way. Um, but, like, I, I that's where I kind of, like, I'm okay with piracy as long as you just, like, you don't try to act like you're better than somebody else. And, and that's... It's the same thing with game collecting. There's so much weird hubris in game collecting. Like, my collection's better than yours because of this, or my collection's better than yours because of that. As to same with this, like, well, piracy's better than what you're doing because it's free and cheap. Um, oh, I can get a piracy. I can. It's just, I mean, play how you want to play it. That's ultimately what I'm going to say. And I could not agree with you more. I have no respect for you though if you try to bullshit me about it. <laughs> like, yeah. just tell me. Just be like, hey, man, you know what? I I just pff, it's easy. I go to a website, download the newest games, in the, or I download a bunch of Super Nintendo games, and it was easy. I'm like, okay, cool. Because, and here's the thing too, emulation and piracy, we'll just say emulation because it makes the point easier to absorb. Emulation has led so many people to buying legitimate hardware in my store and then buying games again. Like people, a, sure. lot, a lot of people that For emulate, sure. just that. yeah, they just come back and they're like, man, you know, oh, I used to have this game and then they see the art. And they see the box and they're like, oh shit, like the, the member berries coming back and the nostalgia gets you. And like, it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to a lot of people. And what's funny, so me, I play all my old retro games emulated. I don't ever take out my, I didn't take out my copy of Super Mario RPG out of the box to play it. Like, why would I? It's like 10 times easier to just emulate it on my PC, on my yep. TV, which, and then with a wireless controller, sit back on my couch and play it on a 65 inch TV. It's fantastic, you know. Like so, so again, piracy, fine. Just to the conversation. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm, gonna say, I'm the same way too, because it's like, especially now with my daughter really kind of turning the corner and getting into into games, um, and she just loves the Switch. But even when I'm like, hey, should we go downstairs and throw Mario in and play it on the old CRT, and it's gonna be awesome? And she's just like, well, why don't why. Why don't you just, because I've got, like, the Raspberry Pi in that NES box, and she does this, like, why, why don't you just turn it on right here? I'm like, oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, I guess I could do that. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, I'm the, I'm the same way in a lot of ways. But that doesn't mean, I, I said this after I, you know, sold you the, the, the Vita game. Like, I'm not going to dump my NES stuff that, has a, that holds a different place for me. But I'll also, 
I can't remember the last time I went and put my an NES game in my NES and played it, which is weird. You know. Yeah. The, the, the... I, I don't know what that says about me, but I like to have the physical games. But there's a convenience thing of I'm just chilling right here. I can grab this 8-bit dough controller and be into Mario right now. And I'm like, well, then, then and I know there's going to be people like, well, then you're not a gamer. And it goes back to the <laughs> enjoy the games how you want to fucking enjoy the games. Yeah, just play. Well, like we're sitting here telling you, you can play them however you want. So don't don't shit talk me and how I want to play them. Yeah, I think the the last time I played like physical carts or media, like um, when I got my last summer, I got my tube TV, the Xbox Ready, like RCA TV. So yep. I put like my PS3 on it uh, through component cables, and I put my PS2. I bought a Japanese PS2, and I put that on there so I could play my import PS1 games on it through component. And like it looks super sharp, but it's like really nice. I'm like, this is cool. That was like the last time though. Like when I and this is all in my office. Like where I'm recording now, that's my my quote unquote office. It's where I stream from when I do my 24 hour live streams. So like that's my game collection. That's my office. When I play games, like my wife and I have side by side 65 inch TVs because we like to hang out when we're doing stuff. Even if we're not playing the same game, we want to hang out. So I play all my retro stuff out there. And so I've got an I've got RetroArch with emulation station on a on an external hard drive that I can plug into any PC. And I run it to my little uh, mini ITX case that I've got out there, and I just and I just have a wireless Bluetooth controller, and it's it's convenient and nice. I don't care. Is it authentic? I mean, I don't know. I played all the Mario RPG on it. It was fine. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna yeah, maybe it beat. Does, it does what it does what it needs to do. Yeah. yeah, I might not beat Mike Tyson. You know, if you if you got you know your your you're your, for sure your not frame. beating Mike Tyson. That's yeah. for sure not happening. Yeah, you know, like I'm not I'm not beating single frame data timing here, but. Like, most games, it's fine. And I've been playing a lot of PS2, actually, that way, too. And so, like, yeah, I could see taking my PS2 to my TV, get a component to HDMI converter, run my component cables to HDMI, HDMI to my TV, and then take my PS2 games out, put it in my PS2. And like, that, you lost me four steps ago. And then, you're, and, yeah, and, then you're, and then you're introducing a bunch of shit to the chain that's probably going to result in the same latency <laughs> loss anyway. So you're just like, well, I might as well just emulate it. Yeah. Um, yep. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I think we would do a disservice to the conversation if we didn't talk about if we're talking about preservation, what preservation will look like moving forward. Because when you were talk, when we we hit on like Nintendo services, and when we were talking about um, people getting access to games, my head immediately goes to, and I know, I know, like it shouldn't even be controversial to even talk about Game Pass, but some people get pretty riled up about it. But like. You can still buy physical games right now. Or, right, like, if you can't afford the new game that's coming out, let's just say, use the Diablo thing as an example, and pre- pretend the um, Activision King Blizzard deal goes through, and Diablo's on Game Pass. You are more than welcome to go buy that game, but not everybody has the luxury of, I'm gonna, I want to play all these $70 games, but I don't have... after tax, $80 after tax, every month or every two months, I don't have that kind of, you know, I don't have those funds right now. But to say, like, hey, I can spend $10 a month, I can swing that. I can can spend that, you know, $120 a year and get access to these games. That's awesome for immediate access to new releases. But it does start to get to a point where people start to ask the question of when, what happens when that's the only distribution model, what happens to preservation? 
but in my head, my argument to that always is I still on new releases of Netflix has been around for fucking what, 17 years? <laughs> Feels like forever like now, yeah. Yeah, um, and even music that hits Spotify and different things first, there are always ways to get that physical if you want it, even decades later. So when I hear things like, well, what happens when it is in Netflix and that's the only way to get it? And it's like, well, it isn't the only way to get movies now, even with Netflix in place. I mean, I've bought ultra Blu-rays. I mean, I just bought a box set for Friday the 13th. Um, I buy a lot of new music releases on vinyl because I want to have it yeah. because I like that piece of it. And that stuff is still there. So, like, when we're talking about game preservation and the subscription models and the digital models coming into play... I am seeing less games being released physically. There, that is a fact, especially for Xbox. I don't even think, I mean, we are now seeing it's like you go to the store, you get a box, and they give you a freaking game code. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe just happened with Halo. That's a concern for sure. And I think that that is a place where we say, what is going to happen to access? Again, it's back to access to the games, right? Like, is, is, is Microsoft... Um, going to lose the source code? Maybe. Um, I would hope but, not. It's probably on their cloud but, servers. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't say much for their their for their redundancy in cloud servers. But I'm like, it always come it always comes back to access of what happens when it leaves the service, and that's what we're seeing with what happens when it leaves the service and there wasn't the option to get a physical copy. And I think that's where I mean I have thoughts on limited run, but there's other companies that do that that make contracts to make runs of these physical games that wouldn't have otherwise seen them in the world of like indie studios going straight to digital things like that on the flip side though there's a lot of games that are now getting made that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been because a lot of these smaller smaller developers can self-publish on these platforms right so like that's an that's a broader conversation and again this is where like I think we're having like this really great discussion. I just don't feel like I'm landing anywhere because it always comes back to, hey, as people, you do you do you. But there is, I think, a concern moving forward of like what happens, how do we how do we retain access to games that maybe only have digital releases moving forward, and when is that time going to happen? I I don't know. I don't have an answer. Um, it does, but yeah. that does concern me. And that I mean, and as as a gamer, that does like make me make me sad but i would say this i look at my daughter growing up in this digital world and it's like are they gonna really even give a shit (laughs) right yeah i I don't i i you know what i mean i don't know does that mean it's less any less of an initiative because there are going to be people that do care yeah i don't know like but i don't like I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. Like that's what happens a, moving forward. That's a that's a great point because, you know, and and that's part of it now too. Like, look how much media there is to absorb now. So, like, if I wanted to play every game I wanted to play to completion, I don't think I could do it in my lifetime. I mean, maybe if I didn't work or anything, and it was just every day, fourteen hours a day, sixteen hours a day, I just played video games to try to play and beat all the games I'd want to play. I don't even know if I could do it in my lifetime. So there's going to come a point where there's so much. They're not going to care that these 10 games aren't there because there's a hundred new ones that popped up. 
And, and it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm already there with you. It's just, it's, yeah. you know, there's not enough time left. And it, it really, <laughs> it really makes me wonder if like the best way for preservation is the physical media. Like, like, especially the older stuff, like is the best way to preserve Contra on NES, is it to own it physically? Right? I mean, like Nintendo's irritated the shit out of me for years, ever since the Wii with their trickle in of the Wii U, like, or of the Wii Virtual Console into the, you know, into the eShop now into the Switch Online, they never give you access to everything. It's always this slow trickle of, like, whatever, and there's a few good ones, and I think Switch Online added, like, Super Tennis and some other bullshit, and you're like, what What are we, like, why, why is Nintendo not dropping ten games a week? Y- you know, why, why is it one game or four games every, like, three months? Is it just to placate us <laughs> at this point, you know? But, like, so the idea is what's the best way to preserve those games? I mean, ultimately, it's to own a physical copy for yourself. To own a copy, yeah. to own a copy for access and preservation purposes and like again not realistic how many of these old games like little samson what's there rumored to be like less than 10,000 copies or something so you know if 20,000 people want it they can't have it because there's not that many copies out there uh, but i don't know i yeah i wonder if that's and, and i know there's things like disc rot is a thing it's not as um terrible as i think a lot of people played up to be um, disc ride is a thing though. Um, cartridges should essentially last forever if they're stored properly. I mean, even ones that aren't stored properly for the last 20 years, I can still usually bring them back to life. So like, I don't know that that's an interesting question to me is like, it almost all wraps back around to the secondary market and isn't the secondary market kind of the best way to preserve these things. I, and it's just, I don't know, kind of loops yeah. all the way which, back which, around. Which, yeah, we do. Right. And it's like, that's where we go. Okay, but now all of these games need physical copies, which is where I completely, as somebody who I have primarily moved to digital downloads, like, I am also one of those people that, like, it isn't one or the other. I just bought The Last of Us Part 1 remake again on disc because it was cheaper and I liked the game and I wanted the physical copy because I like it, even though... You day one patches and the thing that's on the disc. I mean, this goes back to the other thing. The thing that's on the disc isn't really the thing you want because when you pop it in, you're immediately like transferring game to hard drive <laughs> and then downloading patches. Yep. Right. So it requires, especially now, it requires that the game that's on the disc should work, and oftentimes it either does or doesn't and if it does it's certainly not the optimal version it's not the version of the game you want to play which then it goes back to me going like yeah i just got it on disc because it was cheaper yeah um, <laughs> you know yeah you know i, what I, I found mean? it but used like, at my local place yeah i got it on the second i mean in this case i think best buy had it but like it's the same it's the same it's the same thing of just like you know it, it, not everything has to be an absolute and i think that like and that's not the sexy conversation I think when you're talking digital versus physical, there somebody always has to have a take on one side or the other. If you're talking console wars, it's a take on one side or the other. If you're, you know, talking preservation or piracy, it's like a take on one side or the other. And I think as we have conversations, and this is why I love having having these conversations with you, I feel like we come from a place of where we're, we share our feelings on where we stand on those things, but I think that we, we can also get down to an objective conversation 
about both sides. And I think that's the kind of content I find attractive, and that's why I've completely bounced from consuming really anything on YouTube at this point, at least gaming-related, because it is so... Look at my thumbnail. Look at the face I'm making. <laughs> you know, look at me outrage, yeah. and I'm just like, I, I don't got time. There, I'm not going to... I'm not going to. Oddly enough, so I, I've never been much of a consumer of it, uh, which I, I felt like actually I think helps this podcast a bit because, you know, it, you, you don't go in with any preconceived notions. Like, I don't go in and say... You know, like, oh, I, I heard this on a podcast. Like, I, I'm kind of generating my own opinions through my experiences. Funny enough, the one podcast, gaming-related, that I really, really liked was um, the one with uh, Frank Cafaldi and Kelsey Lewin and the Video Game History Foundation. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like their podcast was interesting, and they, they would look at, like, an old game, and they would find, like, one of the people that worked on it or knew a story about it, and they would talk. I mean, it was always oh, fascinating about the history of it. It was just excellent. And I'm like, man, so it's funny that, you know, things I might disagree with them on the one piece of content I really liked that spoke to me like an adult. And, and, and like, I tell people this all the time, I, I'm not mature. Like the, the way my staff and I act at work, the way I act, the way, like I would never call myself mature, but I am like, I don't know how to say, it, but I'm an adult and I don't, I don't want to be talked to or manipulated into liking a video based on like a stupid picture or like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me, like what gets people's attention. And, and once it started getting people's attention, then everyone started copying it. And now it's what everybody does. It's so it's what everything. gets everyone's attention. You know, I don't, I don't know, man. Like it's, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe I should have been tweet doing because I tweet about it once <laughs> a freaking week, but, um, yeah, the last, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it drives me, it puts, it just puts me through the ceiling. And, like, I wanted, and it, like, if I cared enough, because this is, like, how much I hate it, because I kind of wanted to troll, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to record some videos for YouTube just so I can create a thumbnail that says, like, look at my face in Comic Sans, and then just, you know, have a normal title, but I just wanted the thumbnails to be, like, I'm looking at you, click me. Right, just to, yep. like actually put those <laughs> words on the thumbnail, just to clown how stupid the rest of YouTube ends up being. But I'm like, I'm 40 years old. That's probably the one of the. I'm also not super mature <laughs> at times, and I'm like, but that's that's even a step too far for me. So I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Do well, that. remember, so maybe I shouldn't spoil this. I don't think we're ever gonna do it because I don't think we're mean enough to do it. But you and I had conversations about a podcast. That would have been like, like we would have been pretending to be like that. And and we, like I had mentioned to you, like, I think it'd be so funny if we just laid in, like, we just leaned so heavy into it. And you just start, like, you're, you're over the top pretending to be this, like, podcast, ga podcast gamer guy. And you're, like, yeah. just leaning into it. And then... I think you were like, ah, I, I forget what you said, but it was something like, I don't know, man. And I think I said like, yeah, I don't think, because I think people would actually believe us. And I then, think they would. Yeah, and then after like 10 or 12 episodes, we'd be like, wait, are we actually just these people now? <laughs> like we can't well, go that's back. What, that's what ends up happening. <laughs> you, you go from intentionally being a caricature of the people you're mocking to actually becoming the caricature. I think it's funny. I don't, you know... It, so I'm in Minnesota. You're in Wisconsin. In Minnesota, local sports talk radio, KFAN is one of the most popular local shows and or local sports stations, which ironically they barely talk about sports, um, but that's a conversation for another day. But there's a there's a um, 
a host on. I don't know if he's still on because I don't listen to K Fan anymore because they don't they barely talk about sports. But I think he was still on noon to three or noon to two, and his name was Common Man, and he rarely had like the sh- the like the name of the sh- him being the Common Man alluded to the fact that the entire show was satirical in a way that he was doing a bit for three hours, essentially. And people would call in, some people would take them serious, some people got the bit, some people didn't. Um, but I think it's still going, and I think that was, like, the concept of the show. But it's just, like, how do you do it in a way that it's, like, entertaining from a satirical standpoint without actually be- becoming that person? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, because ultimately if nobody knows that you're pretending, then you failed. Right. Because like the whole idea is that you're supposed to call out these kind of ridiculous things, but be so ridiculous that everybody knows you're making fun of them, essentially. And and like so I, I shared with you uh, a link one time and I think you might have thought at the time this is probably a year or two ago. I think you might have thought it was actually real, which is why because I remember I made a joke when we were talking about this, like this is something that you have to watch and it's called the nerd crew and it's um red letter I remember that, yeah, yeah red letter media and so like their nerd crew stuff like it's making fun of all these marvel movie podcast video podcasters and everything but if you watch that like i believe that you could probably find some people that watch that and they're like oh that's really good these guys are funny but think that they actually are fans of the marvel movies but they lay it on so thick that like you 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 almost can't not you know you almost can't believe that it's possible but yeah. you know but anyway i think that's what it came down to is we were just like this is kind of mean <laughs> to be making funny people and if they didn't know it then all of a sudden we start trending or maybe we start taking off right we're getting views and then you and i just go dude let's just cash it in man let, let's let's keep going <laughs> just now we're now, and then and, but i think but i bet you i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of it starts out that way right and i think that's where and i'm not going to call names on this but i mean i have a few in mind where it like they start to see it, and they have every intention of being like, I want to go into this thing legit. I'm going to cover it straight up. Um, I'm not going to be clickbaity. And then you start to get into it and go like, I mean, shit, this isn't working. In order to make it work, okay, here's my shocked face in a thumbnail. Yep. Here is me saying my brutally honest review. And But now you're clicking into this thing, and I expect you to take me serious. And like, that's where you can't have it both ways. Like if yeah. you're gonna lean into if you're gonna lean into that, go ahead and lean into that. But then don't be surprised when I no longer take you serious anymore. And like I the argument I think is but that's just the way you gotta do business to get people through the door. Yeah. But like that's a decision you've made to to basically sell your credibility for clicks. And so if yep. you're doing that, I will come in and maybe be entertained, but in no way are your takes anything that I'm going to take more serious than someone else's. And quite frankly, that's where it's like the only opinion that matters now is mine or your own. And that's what always cracks me up even lately about watching all these reactionary videos. Even like this is a, a pot and it could be an entirely different podcast, but around like, the ABK Microsoft deal, and it's just like, what 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 business degree or legal degree do you have, right? And that's not to be an ass of like, well, what do you do? Because there are smart people that can have opinions on these things, right? But when I see it cascade, where everybody on one side is saying the same thing, 
and everybody on the other side is seeing the same thing. Now we are back to the group think yeah. and the content creation for clicks. And I get it. That's what pays the bills. But again, now, again, I'm just like, well, now your credibility has gone out the window because IDing, you're riding, everybody's riding each other's wave at that point to create content and you want to get it out the door as fast as possible you're like i need to get this out i need to get a shocked face on i need to hit 10 minutes i need to get it uploaded i need to think of a headline and then be damned that i've put any thought into this thing and tomorrow and if it's and if i'm wrong or if it's stupid or if it doesn't work tomorrow i'm gonna do it again and then the next day i'm gonna do it again and it's just like yo i'm i'm out (laughs) you know it might be the only negative version of the the rising tide raises all boats or whatever you know like it might be the only negative thing about that because you're right it's like a cycle of everyone's like well if we all talk about this and we all have hot takes about it the topic is more popular and we all get more views we all get more clicks And, and i i was by no stretch a big youtuber ever but my when I was doing the Billy Mitchell videos, I had multiple videos at 70, 80, 90,000 views. Like that, that was the breakout success of our channel before like Jordan hit a lot of really good videos after that. Um, that was kind of the breakout though was hitting those videos. And then I got to a point where I said, am I just going to make a video about him every time he sneezes? Every time he files something in court against somebody? Like is that is that me now? Is Is Greg defined by what Billy Mitchell's going to do any given day of the week. And I just went, this content is shit. Like it's, um, it's like, it's not, and it wasn't even clickbaity. It was just more like, this is free, easy view bullshit. And I'd rather talk about things I want to talk about for a hundred views than like milk Billy Mitchell for 70, 80, You'd rather do it for you than everybody yeah. else. I think the thing is there, and that's how I got blocked. And I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying one way or another about this person, but that's how I got blocked by Pat, the NES punk. Cause it was always, um, what in television? What the hell was that thing? Called? The the Amico, yeah, 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 yeah. The Miko, yeah. It was always that. There was always a section on that, and then there was always just ripping on NFTs, and then it went into blockchain, and then Wada Games. An event like I I remember tweeting him at one point. I forgot what he said, and I'm like, I just don't need to listen at this point. Let me guess. You talked about the Amico, you talked about Wada Games, you ranted about NFTs, you ta- you're going to tell me why blockchain doesn't make sense, and that's literally been, like, the last 15 podcasts. And, like, that's what got me blocked, and I wasn't even, like, doing it to be an ass. I thought it was, like, more, like you know, talk about something else. And, like, but that's, like, that's the point of, like, what do you want to do? And if people are passionate about that, that's cool, but, like, I was that, like, that's what I didn't want to get into, of just, like, I, I started to chase it, too. I unpublished most of my videos, but I, because, yeah, I missed the boat and should have just stayed on my sim racing stuff when I was doing it, like, three channels ago. But, like, <laughs> I started doing the same thing. What is everyone else doing? Oh, oh, they, oh, you got to go get the thing right away. You got to get the opinion out the door. I'm going to go buy this thing. I'm going to get home. I'm going to record a video. I'm going to watch the instant gratification of thumbs up. And it just got to the point of, like, why did I rush out to go buy the back button attachment for the PS4 controller just to record 10 minutes on it, even though I don't even care about the thing, and then I go on Twitter to just give one away to try to generate interest for something I don't give, something I don't care about. Yeah. And, like, you know. And the problem is that most people don't think like that. Like, 
like us having that self-awareness in that regard, like most people don't do that. Um, there was somebody, uh, I, I won't call him out. I think he's local to Wisconsin, I think. And he, he stopped at my store one time and he actually said like, Hey, I have a YouTube channel here. Check it out. And, um, now I don't, I don't watch YouTube. Right. So like, I didn't like his content, but I don't like anybody's content. So it's, it's neither here nor there, but I noticed on Twitter cause we follow each other on Twitter. And I noticed that he, he made a, he basically put a post up saying, I gotta, I gotta get better at this. He tweeted out, okay, like a post is Facebook, man. Okay, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm not a fucking, I'm not a fucking it's social media boomer here. Okay, so he tweeted out something along the lines of, "Hey, I love doing this segment on my channel, but it gets no views and it takes lots of work. So I'm changing it because I need to do these views, which are quicker. The videos are faster, and I get more views because I think one day I could be a big personality, and I want to get bigger faster." And, and I looked at that and I just went, oh, man, that's tough. That's hard for me to get behind that with you, man. Like, I, I hope you – I wish you success. I don't it wish ill will. But, like, man, I, I hear that and all I can think to myself is, like, you're – like, that that's the farming content thing. Why don't you just do what you loved? Like, you said that you're going to stop doing the thing you loved and that everybody loved because it doesn't get as much views as this other stuff that you don't like. Why, yeah, why now are you you're doing just it? Generating, now you're just generating content and then it goes back to – and I've, I've done this a lot on Twitter of like content. You got to create the content. Here's some more content. I made you some content. But if it's not content you're really passionate about and want to create, then the thing that you thought was going to be this job that would that would ladder up to, hey, if, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life kind of thing. But when you pivot from it not being the thing that you love and now you're just creating content for the clicks and likes, now that's also not something you no longer do or no or now now it's work again yeah and that's also where <clears throat> where i went was like i was like i could make that like so way back in the day some of my most popular stuff was like headphone reviews and sim racing stuff and this was like decades like probably a decade ago <laughs> um and those sim racing stuff got huge views and i wasn't smart enough to see forward enough to say I should just start a sim racing channel because I love sim racing and those pick up and it's too late to do it now and then it was like uh, that's where I was just chasing whatever the f thing was was that was popular at the time and I said well this doesn't make me happy so I'm not going to do it at all and I think that's where there is so much people that like every time someone like what do you I'm a content creator like okay I immediately go okay so you just make shit up in order to make a 10 minute video like if you like I'm a content creator just sounds so like fake to me that I can't, I just, I, I, I can't even like, this is where the bad ones have ruined the good ones where I just can't get behind any of it anymore and go like, okay, no YouTube for me. Yeah. So, so funny enough, this actually happened before we started recording the podcast, but I just caught it on trending on Twitter was internet archive. And so four hours ago, um, breaking, a federal judge has decided in favor of four publishers in the long-awaited copyright case Hatchet versus Internet Archive. Quote, there is nothing transformative about Internet Archive's copying and unauthorized lending of the works in the suit. So basically the first judges come out and said, yeah, the Internet Archive is not allowed to do what it's doing. And of course, Internet Archive did tweet out and said, we will appeal. And a lot of people are obviously saying, well, the Internet Archive kicks ass, man. Like, don't do this. But that's interesting. That was like literally what we were just talking about. Mm. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you cap off a podcast on. any better than that. No, that's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I mean, now it's just like, stay tuned. There will likely be a part two. 
You have to Let's uh see how that thing plays out. You have to promise me that we will do this again soon because this is awesome, man. I so appreciate you coming on here and like talking to you is like a breath of fresh air, you know, someone else who's down to earth but understands things and I can't wait cuz I love learning from you too. I mean, I've asked you for reviews on certain tech things. I've asked you for help in certain things because you've got like an understanding of things I don't. And uh like when we like some of those topics, man, that we were talking about, like you tweeted at me the other day, like, man, I, I want to have you back so soon to go over some of those. I, I hope you will come back. Yeah, no, I'd, lo- I'd love to. And I mean, like I said, I, I love having these conversations with you. And I think it, mo- most of it comes down to, um, you know, I usually just get so exhausted by the kids and everything else. But like we can always find time. So, um, you know, I think it's just uh yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can carve out time. I know, like I said, we tried to do this on Wednesday, and I was like, ah, I'd love to. It's just a little, just a little too much chaos going on here. But it's like, yeah, you know, a couple days notice. But I love doing this. So I, I think I tweeted need... or I texted you Wednesday, like afternoon. I was like, hey man, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> so that's okay. If you can't do it instantly, I'll understand. Um, yeah. But no, it worked out good, and like Friday nights are kind of perfect. So I was only today was only weird. So obviously the podcast isn't going to go up tonight. Sorry, everybody. I got my big sale tomorrow. And like today, normally the day before a sale is nice and chill. Today was a fucking madhouse. Like everybody who came in had a box or bag of trades. It was unreal. It was awesome. Very happy about it. But it was it was unreal. So then by like, because I wanted to send you an outline. And I wanted to, you know, read more stuff and like make sure I had my opinions in my head kind of thought out. And like I didn't get a second for any of that shit. Like, I just basically cracked another energy drink right at the end of the night and was like, okay, this will just keep me awake to get through this podcast. Um, you know what's so funny, and I know we've been run, running long here, but you know what's so funny about, like, I, and I, again, I wasn't trying to be an ass. I forgot who I was saying it to, but I, I whenever I've done podcasts, whenever we've done podcasts, whenever I do, me, me and Mitch and I have done podcasts, um, there was no planning. And I always see, like, people going, like, how hard, like, hard work and this and that and like i get it if you're trying to build a brand and everything else there's much more to it i would just i just like i know how like hey go talk to somebody go have a conversation by turning on a microphone and saying how you feel like that never feels difficult to me and like granted i know people write show notes and write all of these things but i'm like if i'm sitting down to talk to you or talk to mitch it's not like i go would go like hey greg you want to go grab lunch and then we're, we're like, well, let's let's we need to write down what we're going to talk about. You just go get lunch and you would have a conversation for an hour and a half and we'd go on with our day like. But that's how it's easy when you're friends with somebody to go do that. But it's easy enough to be like, hey, we're going to go talk about this thing. And I'm just like, well, I know how I feel about that thing. There might be some key notes that I want to take, but usually I'm pretty confident that like eh, throughout the course of the conversation, we're probably going to get there anyway. So that's where I'm always like, I don't know, it doesn't really feel like work. Yeah. Just hit record. Yeah, we don't have to do like a two hour you don't have to do a two hour pre show. Well and like and we, we started talking before I hit record and like every time we'd start saying something you're like, actually I'm not gonna say everything because I wanna hold it for the show and you're like so that's how we kinda are is we almost don't wanna let it out. My big thing is I just don't want to sound like a dipshit. You know, like I I I have we have this running joke at the store that I'm never wrong. Like that's that's like this running joke that like Greg's never wrong. Because I'm the boss, obviously I'm never wrong, right? But it mostly I'm never wrong because I don't passionately speak about things if I don't know a hundred percent. And so when I go into a conversation like this, I just don't want to be that guy who says something stupid. And it's just like, you know, like I don't want to explain NFTs and then have you be like, well, I'm glad you brought that up because actually you don't know shit. And then then you got to like school me on something. Like I'm trying to do my best to be like, at least understand it. Um, but no, you're right. And like, I, I did send you 
a couple links, which was nice, like to the tweets or whatever. I was like, here you go. And yeah, that's, that definitely like, that's helped. Like there has to I be got. a little prep. I'm not saying we just jumped on at 8.30 and there wasn't any prep. I mean, that helped. I would, like, I had to read something, and it was funny because I had the Voltar stuff ready in my head, but I didn't see Kelsey's tweets. I actually did see Kelsey's tweets last night, and I did see the completionist video pop up, but I was immediately, like, read her tweets. was like, okay, that's cool. I'm kind of on board with what you're saying here. I don't know what this dude's saying because I don't consume YouTube. But then when you sent me it today, I was like, okay, I should probably go, at least go watch that video, right? And um, and I did, and I was like, okay, now I have context for, you know, Kelsey's tweets, and then able to kind of contextualize those tweets versus what Voltar was saying, and and some of that other stuff. And so yeah, there's definitely always some unpacking of feelings and thoughts that need to be done, but um, but a great great conversation as always, man. I mean, just fucking slamming dude and i really was like it should be about an hour ish i was like an hour hitting about hour 45 so you know but but that's great and when you have two people on and the conversations go on man you got you got to feed it and you just got to roll with it so uh it was yep, awesome right man. I, I i appreciate you so much and like i'm i'm serious man i'm gonna i'm gonna find a time and we will we will hit some of these other topics because i i think these are some of the best conversations i've had like in this like in in gaming in in this kind of you know I don't know, bubble that we're in. Like, there's just, these are some of the best conversations I've ever had, man. So I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. Let's do it, uh, do it again soon. All right, man. And, uh, well, and, and I'll just give my little fade away. And, um, I just want to thank everybody as always for listening. And, and why well, I used to say listening and watching, I don't put these really on YouTube anymore, but thank you as always for listening. Uh, I would love to say I'll be back next week with another episode. Um, but if I have, if I have a great topic and I've got a great co-host and a great guest, it's a lot easier to do. So hopefully like my, my goal this year is to try to get these out a little more, a little faster. Every eight months is not acceptable even to me. Like, I, you know, maybe once a month, every other month maybe, but I do love doing this. It's actually quite the outlet for me, like mentally. So I love it. Um, so thank you as, as always, everybody, for listening. I appreciate you. You could follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. You could follow Mike on Twitter at MikeUntitled. Uh, he deletes it a lot and re- <laughs> restarts a lot, but you can find him on there. <laughs> And uh, and yeah, so uh, follow him at Mike Untitled and uh, get some get some good hot takes in. So I appreciate you, Mike. Thanks again, man. Appreciate you so much. All right, thank you. Talk to you, uh, talk to you soon. Hopefully, all right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. See ya. All right, and thank you, everyone, again. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Bye bye.